Hello, SIBKL. My name is Kim, and I'm excited to bring the word today to all of you. I will be talking about the second letter from Paul to the Church of Thessalonians. Specifically, we will be looking at 2 Thessalonians 1. The topic of my sermon today is a church to boast about. When we hear boasting, there always seems to be a negative connotation. I know parents love to boast about their kids. And when I was growing up, my parents would boast about us. Sometimes it gets to the point of embarrassment. I remember once when I was younger, my parents would introduce us to others like typical Chinese parents. Now, I came from a family of three girls and I'm the youngest. So my parents would introduce us this way. They would say, look, this is my eldest daughter. She's got PhD in genetics, very smart one. And then my second sister is this high-flying lawyer who works in a central bank. Don't play, play. And when it came to me, they said, oh, she's the youngest, but she's the tallest, full stop. And I'm like, what? Th that's all the accolades I have? I know, right? You feel for me? Don't worry, I've got the Elijah house, so I'm very secure about this. And I love my parents and sisters very much. In fact, I'm very proud of them. But how many of you have endured such boasting from your parents? How did that make you feel? Type it out in the chat. Incidentally, about me being tall, I'm actually only five feet four, and that's not even worth boasting about. Like, hello? But now that I'm a mom, I totally understand why parents boast about their kids. They can't help it. They're just so proud of them. When the kids achieve simple milestones, we are proud of them. Even now, every time my son manages to poop in the toilet, there's like a big celebration at home because we're trying to potty train him. Everything they do, we are just so proud of them. But for most people, boasting is like a taboo thing to do these days. So much so that people nowadays do a humble brag instead. If you don't know what that is, just Google it after the service. And this got me thinking, you know, what does God think about boasting? Can we actually make God proud? That's when I realized that we can make God proud of us. Like a proud parent, we can make our Father in heaven proud. In the book of Job, it says in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Can you just sense God beaming as he talks about Job? When God looks at us, is he proud of us? Can he boast about us? Now, before we proceed, let us try to understand the context of 2 Thessalonians 1. As I mentioned, this is the second letter by Paul to the Church of Thessalonians. This church was actually a church of young believers, and this letter was written within few months after the first letter. The ultimate aim was to encourage the new church who was going through severe persecution for their faith and to address any false belief they had, in particular about the day of the Lord, or also known as the day where Jesus returns. You see, some of them were anxious because they were going through severe persecution to the point of death and wondering if Jesus had already come back, how come they were still struggling? It was as if the day came and they were left struggling. That is why Paul addresses about the day of the Lord in this letter. With that in mind, let us now read 2 Thessalonians 1 to see how Paul addresses them. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and that by His power, He may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. So we see that Paul boasts about this church you must understand he isn't boasting about himself, he is boasting about the church. And if you read the entire letter, you find that throughout, he always attributes it to the grace of God. So what is so special about this church? What are the characteristics that he considers worth boasting about? In verse three, he says, their faith is growing more and more. He proceeds to say that the love you have for one another is increasing. And finally, in verse 4, he says, Your perseverance in all the persecutions and trials is something to boast about. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, Father Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father Lord, that you are relevant today, yesterday, and forevermore. And Lord, even as we look through scripture, even as we look through this passage, Father Lord, I pray that you will affirm us, you will admonish us, Father Lord, and you will give us uh, the Rima word for the season, and you will help us, Father Lord, move to where you want us to be. And Father Lord, may we glorify you as you make us worthy for your calling. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us examine the first characteristic of the Thessalonians. Paul says their faith is growing more and more. The Greek word used here by Paul to describe their growing faith is hyperoxene. It is only used once in the entire New Testament. It means to increase beyond measure. How many of us can say our faith is increasing beyond measure? Remember, the people of Thessalonians were going through persecution. Can you imagine what it means? If anyone had a reason to complain why their faith was stagnant, it was the church of Thessalonians. First of all, Paul founded their church, and then he was forced to leave in a hurry, not by choice, of course. So their founder is gone. Next, they are being persecuted. Do you know the extent of how persecuted they were? Let's just find out a little bit about the climate in which they were living. In Acts 17, verse 5 to 6, it says, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city, city being Thessalonica. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. 
But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials. Not only that, in Acts 17, 13, it goes on to say, but when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. As you can see, the persecution was so great, the people of Thessalonica would hunt Paul all the way to another town in Berea. It was serious persecution. So if anything, it would make sense if their faith wavered a bit, or perhaps, you know, stagnate for a bit. You see, people back then didn't have the word so conveniently at hand. Remember, printing had yet to be even invented. They don't even have podcasts to listen to sermons. So how did their faith grow when they didn't even have Bibles at home at their disposal? It meant that they would have had to gather to meet, learn about the word, or even find someone who was literate to share the word. And at that time, being a Christian was, wasn't something you would dare proudly announce and wear like a badge. To meet together was already tough. It meant having to risk their personal and their physical lives every time just to hear the word. Being Christian was risky business. To want to grow in the word, you can't just pick up the Bible or scroll an app like you can do today. You would have to take drastic and dangerous measures to grow. It reminds me of how many martyrs have died so that the word of God could reach the mass. Till today, not everyone has access to the word of God. However, in this side of the world, access to the Bible is not an issue. So what is our struggle? Our struggle is prioritizing the word. Maybe it is so easy to access the word that we sometimes lose the importance of it or even the value of it. What sort of sacrifices would we have to make to pick up the Bible today? For the Church of Thessalonica, it was possibly death or torture. What is our sacrifice today to pick up the Bible? Is it sleep? Or maybe it's less time for work, family, or other things we deem more important. To grow in faith, there needs to be sacrifice. During this time of the pandemic, the morale of people isn't exactly very high. They have a term for it. It's called languishing. It's not a feeling of depression or burnt out, but neither are you at your peak functioning at full capacity. It's like you're stuck in between. And it is natural because a lot of us are actually mourning the loss of normalcy. We are concerned of our job security. We are concerned about how are we going to pay for our bills when we can't open our business. We are concerned about our kids with this prolonged online education. We are concerned about our health. So many things that scramble for our attention. And there are times we wish we could go back to normal. How many of us wish for that? But let me encourage you that instead of being overcome by the weight of the pandemic, use this opportunity to really grow our faith. The Bible says we are overcomers. I know people are learning all kinds of skills in this lockdown, whether it was learning how to make Dalgona coffee, that was yesterday, or cooking new dishes, or even having a new fitness regime. How about investing into our faith? Our faith doesn't just grow if we don't take measures to do so. We can't continue languishing and hoping life will go back to normal. Invest in our spirituality. Go deeper in the Word. There are ample online courses. Pray and worship more. There are 24-7 praise worship online that we can log on and experience at home. Nobody can grow your faith but yourself. No matter how much encouragement, you need to want to grow. And I know online platforms are 
not ideal. And, and we can't even gather as a church together physically. I, I myself find it tough. But I think of the persecuted church and I tell myself, you're not even going half as bad. You're not even going through half as bad as what they had to go through. We have to realize that we may not go back to normalcy for a long time. Are we going to hold on to our breaths till it changes? You know, 2020 came and it passed. We must not let 2021 just come and pass as well. Seize the moment and invest. We need to find new ways that will help us grow our faith again. Times may not be easy in the future, and we need to prepare ourselves to be able to withstand the difficulties ahead. If we don't prepare now, when hard times come, we may not be able to withstand. Be like the Thessalonians. They didn't allow their circumstances stagnate their faith. SIBKL, do you want to use this season to prepare yourself and grow your faith? You know, apart from just growing in faith, what stood out to me for the Thessalonian church was that their love for one another is increasing. Paul uses the word pleonase to mean superabound. Again, this is only used once in the New Testament to denote that it was a wide dispersal. To fully appreciate this, we need to remember again that these people were going through severe persecution. In Malaysia, we don't even go through a fraction of the type of persecution that they went through. So sometimes it might be difficult to empathize. Sometimes we may read this and think to ourselves, oh, you know, they're all a bunch of wonderful Christian community who was loving and kind to one another. And so everyone loved one another. But I believe that in every community, there is bound to be people that were difficult or even people that they couldn't trust. Can you imagine for them to show love to each other? It would mean they would have to meet one another it would mean risking their identity of revealing to someone that they were a Christian. Can you imagine if they went for a church meeting and someone in there was actually not a Christian, but was masquerading as one so they could expose and catch them? Can you imagine that every time when they went to a church meeting, they would have to worry about their safety? Not just us, but their children or loved ones. We forget that these are ordinary people like us. To even identify as a Christian, would mean to risk persecution. Did that stop them from loving one another and accepting another brother or sister in Christ to their fellowship? Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul, who was formerly a great persecutor of the Christians, were not accepted in love by the brotherhood? We would not have half the test New Testament today. So to love someone requires a sacrifice. It required them to trust one another. This was something that hit me pretty hard this year. You know, when the church was talking about reopening, I asked myself, do I want to go to church and risk getting COVID by people who may unknowingly be asymptomatic carriers? You know, what if, right? Can I trust that the church will follow the SOPs and guarantee that I will be okay? And I struggled with all that. And I saw that at the end of the day, there were lots of suspicion and fear in me. And, and sometimes I myself felt judged like, did I lack faith? On the opposite spectrum, sometimes we can make others feel small. We look at others and then think they are foolish or unwise. Or perhaps we judge another for not being gracious and loving enough to us. Like we feel we are owed understanding from others, and yet we refuse to understand the other. And we keep judging one another, widening the gap, making it difficult to love one another. We are all on a journey and sometimes we all need a little bit of love. You know, 
I believe it is not by accident that we are studying Revelations and about the end times. You know, there were several verses that kept popping up in my head. It says, in the end times, nations will rise against nations, brothers will betray brothers, and the love of most will grow cold. In Matthew 4 verse 12, do we see the love growing cold today? Just look at the news today. You will see people fighting over small things. People fight because of different opinions. There are so many opinions circulating and sometimes these deferring opinions become so major, instead of increasing in love, we start allowing it to divide us. What do I mean differences in opinions? Should I vaccinate or don't vaccinate? People fight about this. Should we have MCO or no MCO? Sometimes we complain about it and we slam the authorities about it. Should we have bazaars or no bazaars? Is it Trump or Biden? Should we support Israel or Palestine? All of these are contentious issues and we allow these differences to divide us, to fight one another, to judge one another. And it's no surprise the love of one another will grow cold. Look, it is okay to have an opinion and even strong beliefs. In fact, we must have a stand. We must stand for truth. But we must be careful that it doesn't cause dissension. How can we disagree and still love one another? In church today, how can we have differing opinions and still treat each other with grace and respect? In the earlier church, they had to also stand for truth and what was right to the point where if they were tortured or killed, they still, stood, they still stood for their beliefs. That's how passionate they were with their beliefs. But did they use retaliation or anger or even boycotting to prove their point? No, they continued to love. I'm sure when the Christians in Thessalonians came together, they had all different ideas or even culture. The Christians comprised of Jews and Gentiles. I'm sure they clashed. What more, they are new Christians. They would have carried their previous beliefs in, yet they showed love to one another. And I'm sure that would have meant embracing and loving one another despite differences or maybe offenses. You know, speaking about offenses, it is one of the biggest obstacles to loving one another. This was something I had to endure. So recently, someone said something really hurtful to me and I found myself being very annoyed about it. It was an unkind remark and I was angry because every fiber in me wanted to retaliate and return the unkindness, but I couldn't. So I left being bitter and it took root in me and it defiled me. It ruined my whole day. And then as a result, I was snappy and possibly even lashed at my husband and my kids. You see, toxicity is contagious. Perhaps some of you have been hurt by someone. You may not have been persecuted, but you have been treated unkindly or even unfairly. And sometimes, instead of seeing relief, you find that the other party gets away with it. It's like, oh, it's so unfair. And when I was studying this passage, I thought to myself, I'm not even being persecuted to the point of death and I already have so much resentment for that person. How will I be when I actually am persecuted during the end times? And I know God was telling me, beyond the unkind treatment you received, can you continue to love this person who you deem unworthy of love? And I really struggled. Every inch of me felt it was so unfair. Why must I bear the other person's sin? But love covers a multitude of sin. And I knew that God was telling me, use this to grow. Give your anger to Jesus. And that helped calm me down. 
And I know most of us are stuck at home and really stressed, so I can just assume tempers are flaring at home, people are frustrated, so they are unhappy, and possibly unkind and un unloving to one another. So loving one another in the face of stress and hardship is no easy feat. I just want to encourage you to love someone, even when it may not be easy. I'm not asking you to excuse bad behavior, nor am I asking you to keep putting yourself in a place of pain. But if you have been dealt pain, give it to Jesus and choose to still love. Can you still love in the midst of being persecuted or unfairly treated? The last time someone said a nasty thing to you, the last time your boss was inconsiderate to you, the last time your spouse was snappy at you, the last time someone in authority oppressed you, did you retaliate? Was there passive aggression or was there increasing love? Why does God allow this to happen? If you can't oversee this offense, what will you do when you are truly persecuted during the end times? John 13 verse 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, Jesus said this in the midst of being betrayed by Judas, which is right after the Last Supper, and just before being denied by Peter three times. Love one another. Don't let our opinions and offenses divide us. SIBKL, is your love for one another increasing during this season? And finally, Paul said, I boast about you because of your perseverance in all the persecutions and trials. You see, we can all take measures to grow our faith for some time. We can even love someone once in a while, but to keep doing this over and over again in the midst of trials and persecution, that is truly only by the grace of God. Take for instance, when MCO 1.0 came, we were like, okay, let's do this. Kita jaga kita. MCO 2.0 came and we're like, okay, I'm not so sure. And then MCO 3 came and we're like, oh, enough. And this is not even persecution. So can you understand how the Thessalonian church might hope for the second coming of Jesus, you know, to relieve them of their suffering? And most of them orientated their life around the immediate return of Christ. They had suffered so much for the sake of Christ. Yet as time progressed, things didn't change and people around them were dying for their faith. This confusion led to doubts and doubts to discouragement and perhaps to even hopelessness and a giving up of their faith. How many of us understand how it feels to have unanswered prayers, to pray and pray and not see a breakthrough? And what's more painful is when we think breakthrough is at the corner only to be disappointed. That is why depending on hope is not enough. We have to depend on the person, Jesus. Paul writes this letter and in verse six to 10, he affirms them and reminds them that though they may not see their relief, but they can trust that they will. And he lists out why we can have perseverance. We can have perseverance because God is just. He sees what's happening. He will pay back trouble to those who give you trouble. In other words, he will punish. Now I know for many, it may seem as if we are rejoicing in vindictive revenge, but you must understand the language that Paul is using. He is showing us the extent of what will happen to those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus. 
they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you read this, and if you have a lens of love for others, you will see this as the urgency of reaching out to others. You will not see this as vindictive revenge. To even understand why the Lord says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in that following statement, He talks about the day of the Lord coming unexpectedly like a thief. So yes, we long for Jesus to come again. And sometimes we wonder why is there no relief? But God is waiting for all of us to come to repentance. So sometimes when we see the wicked getting away, instead of praying for revenge, pray for their souls because it will not be good at the end for them. And through it all, it says, God promises to give relief. The Greek word used here is anesis, not just a relaxation of persecution, but eternal rest in the presence of God. And Paul says he gives relief to us, not just them, but he is including himself too because he himself was also suffering persecution along them. And we can have perseverance because Jesus will come again in power and glory. You know, it is important to remember that he comes in authority like a king to rescue us because we believe in him. Yes, we are included because we believe in Jesus. We may feel powerless in times of trials, but we can pull through if we remember how powerful Christ is. Brothers and sisters, learning perseverance is a process. None of us like pain, but there is no crown without the cross. So let me encourage you today to persevere. Persevere in praying for the salvation of loved ones. Persevere in praying for healing, for breakthrough, for that mountain to conquer. Persevere in doing good. Persevere in wanting to meet together again when we can. The Bible says, let's not give up meeting one another as we see the day approach. Persevere in loving one another despite our odds against one another. In Hebrew 12, verse 1 to 3 says this, And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We can only endure because our Saviour Jesus has endured and showed us how. If you are struggling with your faith and you feel like giving up, persevere and fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. If Paul was to write to our church today in 2021 amidst a global pandemic, do you think we are a church to boast about? But what's more important, do you think God would be proud of us? Are we growing in faith despite the difficulties today? Are we abounding in love despite the differences we may have? Are we persevering in persecution and hardships? Are we allowing the trials today to prepare us for the coming days when the times get tougher? Remember, we may not be suffering persecution now like the church in Thessalonians, but are we allowing today's problems to train us up so that we may be proven worthy of His calling and stand firm should persecution come. I want to end today with a prayer that
that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. He says with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. And may you be glorified in our church today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.